Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? And welcome to the podcast editors mastermind, the only show for the business of podcast editing. I'm Carrie Caulfield, Eric, and today I'm here with my co-host below me. I'm Brian Ensminger, and to my side is um, Daniel Abendroth. So we have with us Alexandra Stennett from Listeners to Clients, and we are going to be talking about rates with her. But in case you don't know Alexandra from the Facebook communities, because she is all over the place in the editing community and a great help to podcast editors. She is the co-founder of Listeners to Clients and a podcast editor, of course. And she has a background as a chartered accountant and director of operations for a media company. And now, of course, she helps podcast editors become competent business owners. She and her husband, Paul, created one of the first podcasts in the Caribbean. And they saw a massive positive impact that it had on the community. So that's why they started their company. And she enjoys singing off-key her Sesame Street songs with her daughter. And you can find her and Paul watching everything on Netflix. And by the way, they're in Jamaica. So welcome, Alexandra. Thanks, guys. (laughs) We are so glad to have you here. Um, And I'm really excited about this topic because... I want to start this show off today. Why do I keep saying today? Because it's today. Uh, it, it is today, but I feel like that's not what we do, right? Because we're podcasters. Um, no, I want to talk about this thread from, oh, goodness gracious. Now, I had it and I lost it. Oh, that Google Twitter thread? On me. Yeah, you the used- Twitter thread. Um, And I'm not going to. Okay, so in that thread, um, this uh, audio person talked about rates, right? And how, or what the industry standards were in terms of rates for the different jobs, producer, editor, um, tape sync, which is, for those of you who don't know, is just recording the audio. And how, if you are not charging like within these standards, you are hurting the industry. And if you are uh, employing somebody uh, and not charging these, or, or not paying these rates, you are hurting the industry. So um, let's start with you, Alexandra. Did you, you saw that thread, right? Yes, I did. Okay. What are your <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> Let me step into the minefield. Okay. <laughs> yes. Sweet. <laughs> I I I don't disagree with what they're saying, but at the same time, when you look at the rates that they proposed, I think someone had like asked a specific question. What would you do? What would you charge for like a chat show hour long? Or I think maybe it was 90 minutes. And I think the rate came to like eight hundred dollars, the recommendation that was being made by the original um poster. <sighs> I'm just not sure that that's uh, really practical. I think it's one of those things where if you're working maybe with B2B, you're working with companies, you're working in the industry, maybe you're working at a big podcasting company, definitely charge these rates. But I don't know if for the average podcast editor, solopreneur out there, 
are they going to get a lot of business <laughs> charging $800 per episode? I feel like there's somewhere in between. Like, I don't think you have to charge $50 an episode, but I feel like, you know, and I, I don't know if it's fair to say everyone should be charging these rates or you're bringing down the whole industry. That's my, my thing. I think it's a bit extreme. Yeah, so I'm inclined to agree with you. Like, I like the idea of continuing to upscale the industry. But at the same time, when I think about, let's let's make it something physical, like buying a car, um, there's a difference in price between a BMW and a Kia. And there should be. And so that doesn't mean that there's no place for the Kia in the market. And it doesn't mean that the Kia should aspire to charge what you would pay for a BMW or a Mercedes or whatever expensive car people's like pe- people's people like now, um, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a fair analogy. At the same time, I do understand that tension because there is a lot of pressure to turn something like this that is a relatively new industry, at least in terms of this expression, into something that becomes a race to the bottom. And I I equally don't like that. And I don't know that I have the answer, so I'm going to stop talking and let you guys jump in. I think when it comes to like this conversation of like $800 an episode versus like $5 for an hour, you know, the, the middle ground is when I think like $800, you know, I'm thinking like BBC and NPR and like Gimlet Media that they're putting, you know, months of research and like editing into their episodes. Like in that kind of situation, that makes sense. But if I'm doing a 30 minute solo podcast um, with one speaker, who's like in a relatively well-treated room, like it's not going to take me nearly as long to justify, you know, an $800 rate. And I think that when you're working with independent podcasters, right, when that is your customer base, how many of them are going to have 800? So they're doing four episodes a month and that's... 32. 32. I was going to say 36, but... (laughs) 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 Um, Right. So they're going to spend that kind of money getting their podcast edited. Um, Probably not. And there needs to be people to service them, right? Just because they don't have $800 to pay an episode doesn't mean they don't deserve help or can't, you know, pay a decent rate to get help. Um, And I was thinking about it. um, You made the car analogy Brian, and I was thinking in terms of like, okay, so there's Family Dollar, there's Walmart, Mm -hmm. um, but there are all sorts of other like boutique and luxury shops too that we, you know, can go to. So there needs to be a price point for everybody. I was thinking that what you said with the car and Family Dollar and stuff, I don't actually, it sounds, I don't mean it mean, but like, I don't think somebody has to service every level. Because the reality of the matter is that you're not required to have a podcast editor. If you can't pay an editor, you can edit it yourself or leave it unedited. So I don't think it has to... There's this argument sometimes in some of the podcast groups that you see, which is like, I'm not making any money from my show. How dare you charge more than one cent per hour? And it's like, it's if I want to get a fancy hairstyle, the hairdresser isn't going to be like, well, whatever you can afford, you stay at home and you do it yourself unless you can afford somebody. So I do think, you know, we have to find that balance. And I don't think we should feel compelled to be like, gosh, we have to be accessible to everybody in the world who doesn't want to edit their own thing. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right. We have a comment uh, from the one and only Steve Stewart. Oh, <laughs> one person's average rate can be drastically different from another based on their perception. What I charge seems to be more than average per survey we did every we do every year, but it's an incredible amount to someone in the Philippines. Cost of living can play a huge part in this. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, kind of, you know where you live and also like your skill level. Um, you know, if you're just starting out as an editor, then maybe you can't, you know, you, you might not be able to do like, uh, an NPR Gimlet media style kind of. Well, so I push back on that. Okay. I have worked with a lot of freelance editors, right? And I, so I have gotten a lot of pitches, um, and, and seen a lot of rates and some of these editors and, and some, I know they're new and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like wow that's a you know that's a big rate um hmm. yeah so i don't know and I, so i think it's more of the like based what, what steve said about perception right um that sometimes that rate is just i i don't know i don't want to say arbitrary but i don't i but it makes me wonder how people figure this stuff out like how do they decide what their rate is why can't it be arbitrary? Because my thing is, if I want to charge $400 for a 15-minute solo and somebody wants to pay me for it, I don't think that I am wrong, if that makes sense. Like, that's that's a, that's an extreme example, and I wish somebody would pay me for $400 for a 15-minute <laughs> solo. <laughs> me but too. Like, if you have a market for it, you no, know, you're not tricking anybody. It's not like I'm saying I'm doing something I'm not doing. If that's what I quote, and you're like, yeah, that's fine, then it's fine. The problem I have with the cost of living example um, is that I think it has to be done to the person. So let me talk up from other third world people. Um, in Jamaica, our cost of living is very close to the U.S. So it doesn't really apply to us as people don't really expect that lower cut as other countries. But if you're in the Philippines and you want to charge the same rates as somebody in the U.S., I believe that's your right. And I don't think that, I think there's sometimes an argument of if your cost of living is lower, then you should charge less. Um, but I don't necessarily think that you need to because the, the value of it to your client is the same. Meaning if you have clients in the U.S., obviously if you have clients locally, it might be different because maybe they can't afford it. But if you have clients in the U.S., they get the same amount of value if I do it as if Brian does it, as if anybody else does it. So don't feel like you have to charge less based on where you are. Yeah, I think a lot of times, and myself included, get hung. Uh, editors get hung up on like trying to justify their rate, and really, like, it just kind of like you're saying, it comes down to is somebody willing to pay the rate? If so, then it's a fair rate. Agreed. I would agree with that. I mean, that's that's the justification that I have for my rate, which is not at all exorbitant. It's people are paying this. So it is clearly worth this because people are paying this. Now, am I leaving money on the table? Possibly, probably. Well, I want to go back because Kareem had a question for Carrie. Uh, how much is wow in your example for new people doing editing? So above $350 an episode. Uh, which and And I've had that. So I've had that rate like $300, $400 an episode where I've... Um, I kind of let clients go and said, 
you know, that I you know, posted like a job thing that I was, you know, finding editors for them. Um, and I was like, whoa, they're not gonna, like, I didn't get paid that much. <laughs> they're not gonna do that. <laughs> so, um, and for Kareem asked for how much for audio. I mean, we're talking just a normal 30 to 60 minute interview show. Uh, pretty easy Mark, intro, yeah. outro. Oh, that was Mark. Yeah, Mark. Was Mark. Sorry. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> um, yeah, super simple. I mean, something that only took me like, you know, two hours, you know, after being with them for a while and, and them becoming better speakers. Um, yeah, something only took two, three hours at the most to put together. Um, and yeah, I don't think that they're paying $100 and, or, or more an hour. Like that just wasn't, and you know, just wasn't in their budget. Okay, so Brian, you had this really awesome question that yeah. I completely don't remember now. Oh, that's fine. I got ahead of us, apparently. That's, that's no problem. <laughs> so part of me is I'm thinking through this upscaling, right? Because I do want to continue to increase my rates. And it's a bit of a challenge, right? There's a little bit of an inter internal struggle to increase the rates, but also there's a matter of finding the right clients. And so I'm wondering, like, based on your experience, how much of that... I'll call it struggle, it might not be, to increase rates is people's head trash, the stories they tell themselves, and how much of it is just being able to find and connect with the right clients. <laughs> okay. I feel like 100% is, is the head trash because this is something that I still struggle with, but over the years I've had to push myself because when I started out, my rates were really, really low simply because I had no idea. I okay, wait. Didn't so I'm going to put your feet to the fire. How low okay. were your rates? So originally to do well, free was the first ones, the first clients. Yeah, I was like, dude, I'll do a free episode for you, everything, you know, just please come work with me. And then after that, I was charging, I think, $60 for an hour long episode with show notes. So I would say that's pretty low. And at that time, I was slow. So. I'd say some of us here charge less <laughs> for the same work. For an hour with show notes? I mean, we, gosh, we don't need to get like, into what I used to charge. Like six or seven hours of work at that time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I yeah. did it. I, I was thankful, of course, because I had no... Well, I have I had only experience with doing personal projects. I didn't have experience with clients at the time. And actually, one of those clients is still my client now, and I've gotten her up to a normal rate, a human one that people could live on. <laughs> but what happened with most of these, and the reason why I think I was able to adjust the rates, is that I, they know what I'm doing is not just editing. So I think it's a bit of, if you position yourself to clients as like, you know, yeah, I cut the audio for you and put it on Libsyn. It's not very exciting. I'm not, I'm not really wanting to pay you that much to just cut the audio. I can do that. Like the little thing to themselves. But then you kind of, it's kind of like what Daniel said. I think that we talk, we're trying to justify our rate to ourselves so much. But when you really look at it, let's break it down. I don't like doing hourly because the more I do this, the faster I am. So should I charge less because I'm faster? No. But when you look and say, if I was working in a job, doing something else, and I was getting paid this amount, would I be happy? Would I say, yeah, this is a job that I want to keep because the salary is actually good and sustaining me. And if the answer is no, then your rates are too low. And if your client's not willing to pay it, I'm not just talking about like picking an arbitrary number and you want to be the richest person in the world. <laughs> you know yourself, you know you're an honest person within reason. I think sometimes it's about pushing through the discomfort. I think a lot of times it's about pushing through the discomfort because every time I've asked for a rate increase, it has been horribly uncomfortable. And then I'm so glad when it's done. 
one of the times the client was like, I just don't have the budget for it. But I was, let's let's just talk open numbers. I was just paying me $90. I was writing blog posts for her, like full on blog posts, thousands of word blog posts, editing her hour long show, doing her social media, all these wonderful, and she was using her Yeti backwards and everything was awful, (laughs) but it was $90 per episode. And I know for a fact she has a budget. It was not like a, oh, you know, I feel so sorry for her and her sorry circumstances. Um, and she said she just doesn't have the budget. She's going to get a VA to do it for $12 an hour. So she got a VA to do it for $12 an hour <laughs> because it just didn't make sense for me anymore because it was so consuming. But that's something to say from a lofty position of being able to let go a client. When you're just starting out, you might not have that flexibility. So a part of it also is acknowledging where you are. Can you afford to lose a client when you bring up this conversation to the client? Because I think you kind of have to be willing to say, well, if you can't increase my rate, then buy. If you're going to be putting your, if you're going to put it like that to them. Yeah, you have to be ready for them to say no. I mean, that's their choice, obviously, is for them to say no. So curious, how did you settle on that original rate, that first $60? The first $60, I think the person said to me they had $60. <laughs> I don't think there was anything on my end. It was like, this is my budget. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> whatever, whatever. I'll just do everything for you for this amount of money. I genuinely did not know that podcast editing was a field when I first started out. So until yeah. I found Podcast Editors Club, I was like, wow, look, other people are doing this. <laughs> so uh, is it Kareem? Yeah. Kareem? Yeah. yeah, okay. So he wants to know if Alexandra edits video podcasts. And if so, what do you charge for that? So Miss $90 also had a video. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, I don't edit video anymore because video, I find, is more, it's worse than audio. I don't like doing it. I find it to be extremely time consuming. And I think you would charge more. I don't know. That's just my thought on it, but I don't offer it. So I'm not the best person to ask about video. Well, Daniel, you do video, don't you? A little bit. So I'll typically do, I think I charge like 1.5 times my rate. Um, because, And I don't do like complex video editing. Um, so like I'll clean up the audio and then I'll go through it and just make any, well, what I'll do is I'll, I'll listen. So I'll edit the audio first like my normal and I'll be listening for any major edits or mistakes and then I'll make a note of those. And then in the video I'll go and I'll cut just those parts. Mm. Cause I don't go through and cut out the ums and like all the little mistakes in video. Cause then you're left with just, you know, a blogger YouTuber style thing. So I just go in any major things. I cut those out and then render. Yeah. So 1.5 times my rate. Oh, uh, well, you mean in your audio rate, 1.5 times your audio rate. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, you'd be charging, let's just say, $100 for the audio edit and then an additional 150 for the video edit? So it'd be $150 to do both. Okay. And we're not quoting his rates. We're just using that as an example in case yeah. you're listening and trying to figure Daniel's rates out because I don't know what they are. I'm just making no, stuff No, I don't up. know what they... Yeah, we may be in a mastermind, but we don't necessarily share everything. Um, <laughs> some things we keep quiet. Uh so, all right. So that's how you started with your um, your first rate of $60, Alexander. Right. Oh, and sorry. Back to video. Because uh, Mark made a comment. You can definitely cut the video 
Uh, you don't make as many cuts, but you cut back and forth between shots. Um, and so this is assuming um, it's a single track video. So if you get like a zoom or it's like mixed down and it automatically cuts back and forth between the speaker. For your rate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So how then, once you got into podcast editing and got your, got your feet under you, how then did you go about um, determining what your packages were and how much you were going to charge people? Okay. So to be transparent, when I just started out, I had, I think, two one-on-one clients, but I was also working as a subcontractor with Brittany Felix. And if anybody oh, knows Brittany, Brittany is like yeah. charged. Brittany fan charged. here. <laughs> so like, yeah. so I must have told Brittany something about my rates. And she's like, no. Like, she's like, I know I'm paying you, but like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so she was the first inkling I had of like, oh, really? That's too little? Who knew? I thought that should be, you know, I was so excited for my $90. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, based on that, I just, I honestly create packages. I started with it based on what my clients needed because my approach was always custom because I only work with clients who have businesses associated with their podcast. And I find that makes things so much easier because they take it really seriously and they know what they want to do with their show. So these are people who they know, okay, I want to do my podcast like this. I want to have show notes. I want to have whatever. And they value my input. That was the game changer, working with the people who value the input. Because when I was working with the $90 and the $70 person, they just wanted somebody who would upload their stuff. Like, just just put it wherever it needs to go. That was what they cared about. But when I started to really package up my things and be able to charge proper rates, those are the people who are like, I want to work with an expert because I want my podcast to succeed because it's for my business. So for that reason, I have never worked with a hobby podcast and I'm afraid of doing so. <laughs> yeah, I know it's common, but like the people that pay the least expect the most and give you the most headaches. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think very rarely are will they grow with you, right? Um, because that part does happen. But uh, I love this uh because what I'm hearing from you, Alexandra, is the first thing you did was figure out who you wanted to work with. And so you got your ideal client down and then you can court them, right? And and set those packages and rates that works for all of you. Right. Yeah. One advantage that I had, though, was that I, I'm an accountant. I was working at an auditing firm for years. So I came into this business saying... I'm not trying to make a loss. So from day one. You mean you don't want to pay to work I for mean, somebody? And the other thing was that there was no other income. So at the time, my husband was laid off. And so this was it. So I couldn't afford to be like, oh, I'll just have this one client for like $50 and it would be fine. Like that worked for like a month on savings. But we knew we had to be like set up the business in a way that can sustain us. And luckily, because of my background, I was able to not be afraid of the numbers. <laughs> so little things I put in place. So I knew I wanted it to be packages. It had to be packages because I didn't want to deal with, okay, your audio is 35 minutes this month versus your audio is 37 minutes next month. And then this one is this. I couldn't deal with this admin burden of like getting into the integrity because I know I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be petty with clients because I don't want my clients to be petty with me. 
So I don't want my clients to come back and be like, oh, I paid for a 45 minute audio, but my audio is 35. So I need a discount. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to be petty with them on the other end. So I try to put everything in packages and be like, I'm a podcast person. Don't worry about it. But that means I have to put the cushion in there. But people are willing to pay for the cushion for the comfort of knowing that I'm there. If they want to send me 10 emails or zero emails. And the other thing I did was that I only, everybody had to pay me up front. So from my first client, Brittany Felix is the only person that has not paid me upfront, And that's because she's Brittany. So she got an exception. <laughs> but everybody else from even when I was brand new and people were like, you can't do that. Nobody will pay you up front. All my clients pay me at the beginning of the month. And it has never been a problem. And I did that because I knew I need my money to live. So I can't wait for net 30 to hope that you pay me on time. And then my electricity is cut off because you did. So- Wait, tell us what net 30 is for those of us who are accountants. So (laughs) net 30 is when you send your invoice and they pay you after they have up to 30 days to pay you, which really means they're going to pay you on the 30th day or maybe after. So that's, I think, very typical in corporates. And Mm -hmm. that's also why I chose not to work with corporates, because my one experience trying to get um, like answering a proposal or something for a corporate, the proposal process was so painful. I said, I don't want to go any further because it's just my personality. It's nothing against them in general, but I know what I want to do and admin burden. It was not, it's not for me. <laughs> so I'm the person who wants to send like, I want to send like six exclamation marks and 10 emojis in my emails. Not be like, good morning, ma'am. Here's your invoice attached. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you can do both. I'm here to say. <laughs> you yeah. can. You can. You can do both. If you find but the right clients. If yes. you find the right clients, you find the right and you know, it, it is a little less painful. But yes, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and I'm with you. I've only got one client that I work with that has net 30 terms, and that's because it is a corporate client where their AP, um, sorry, accounts payable process just takes that long. Uh, And because I work in a big company for my day job, I get it, right? I get these invoices from companies that have done work for us. And it takes me like two days every time to figure out how to just approve the stupid invoice. Because first I have to go and find where they moved the, did you receive this part? And I, yes, I received this. And then go like, it's it's very Mm -hmm. convoluted. So I get it. But it's also like, as a small business owner, I can't carry every client for 30 days. In fact, most of my clients are either paid up front or like, I might carry them for a week to allow it to accrue. And then, but then I have their credit card information. So when I bill them, I can just literally charge them then. And it's cash in hand for me. Mm. I like that. But yeah, terms are, terms are something. In fact, I heard Carrie, you shared this, um, the thing about imposter syndrome, not being a thing. That was a a YouTube video that Marcus DePaula was involved with. And I was really surprised. I went to her website and the way it's set up is you don't do anything with her until you've paid. If you want to book them to record your thing, the payment is built into the process of booking. And so like she she doesn't do net anything. It's either paid up front or paid when you buy it. And I, I'm like, this is mind blowing. I didn't know we could we were allowed to do this. So I'm, I'm trying to think, can I restructure my process? I do that with coaching. Like okay. uh, most, of, except for like with Just Busters because they're my special people. Like you pay up front um, and you buy your sessions up front and then, mm-hmm. then you get, then you can book your time. Yeah. Um, I definitely do that with coaching. I was thinking more about the editing, but yeah. 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 Definitely. No, I only have, I actually only have one client that pays up front, but I work with um, a, a few companies and 
Um, I'm really lucky and I don't have to wait 30 days for the payment. Right. But I do have to wait for that approval time. And I'm like, Brian, you're the guy. You're the guy. I'm cursing every. <laughs> yeah. Every and you month. know what? As the guy on the inside of the company, I'm also the guy cursing. The... <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I'll share this. We were trying to work with a company where we'd been working with them on a proposal for like three months. And when we finally got to the process of signing the proposal, our internal process changed and their internal process changed. And it took us another two months just to get the proposal approved. Like we had to resubmit the whole thing. So I get it, but I don't want to deal with it as a small business owner. Right. Although I started working for a company that uses bill.com. And let me tell you, I have never been paid so fast by an, a company in my life. I mean, it's like two, three days. <laughs> what is this witchcraft? Um, As Steve Stewart said, I like the idea of collecting payment prior to the service. But that doesn't work for me. I like to work towards the reward of getting paid <laughs> for a job well done. So Steve's going to pay the money or like get the money and spend it all and not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Something tells no, me she's more responsible than that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, that's where, you know, thinking that's where he gets all those records from. Well, you um, see, that's why. So, like, I feel like your rates are definitely trial and error. There's nothing around mm -hmm. it. It's just trial and error because you won't know you're on the charge necessarily until you're on the charge. Or, like, Steve wouldn't know that he likes it this way unless he tried it. So, you know, don't be worried if you've been charging badly <laughs> so far. In the Facebook group, there was actually somebody who posted um, that they were charging, I think, like $35 an episode um, and asked if that was a good rate. And everybody came on and said, oh, no, charge more. But I didn't want him to feel bad. So I posted a very positive message to go along with that because you shouldn't feel bad because we found this out the hard way usually, mm -hmm. too. I mean, and you came in as, a, an, as an accountant, Alexandra. So, you know, you yeah. saw what, you know the money in and out. Um, but I will ask this, what numbers should you be taking into account when you are setting your rates? Like, you know, I, what numbers should we know? Well, I, I think the first thing you need to start with is how much does it cost you to run your business? And I think sometimes I just made a post about it. I, I think it's really hard when you're a service-based person and especially for a solopreneur where your cost is yourself. It's not like a product where you're like, oh, I paid this much for the base material. You're kind of going into it saying it's free. It's just my time. I'd be doing nothing otherwise. But you need to start from a place of saying, how much does it cost to run your business? Are you paying software subscriptions? Are you paying for internet, I should hope? Are you paying other <laughs> office expenses? And also like your salary. Your salary doesn't have to be super high, but like how much do you need to make every month to pay your bills, to pay your taxes? all of that, and lose that as your baseline. And then from there, of course, then you start thinking about profit. But let's say all of that expenses come, all of those, all of those expenses <laughs> come to $1,000. You need to think about how many clients can you reasonably work on? Because all of that money that you need every month is not going to come from one client. So you have to think about splitting it. And if you can only take five clients, you can only work on five clients, then that $1,000 needs to come from the five clients. There's no way around it. That's just the math of it. So you need to think, com compare how much money you need to be making per month in terms of your business expenses and your salary. I think that's a good starting place. And then you want to think about things like, of course, your profit because other investments you want to make in your business to add on top of that. Like 
When I say salary, though, let me take a sidebar. Remember, you need things like health insurance, other stuff that if you are, assume that you are self-employed and you're not working at a company that's still paying those stuff for you, like, don't underestimate the stuff that you need to pay. Your bills, your Netflix, all of these things. <laughs> like, your company income is not your income. So really sit down and calculate what your salary needs to be. And add that on top of your other expenses like your Adobe or whatever else you're paying to say, all right, I need X amount per month. And I think that's where that profit first conversation that we had with Carolyn Rivera several months ago comes into play. And you go, okay, if my operating expenses can be 30% of my revenue, then Mm -hmm. you know that, you know, you need to have living expenses plus 30%. Or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, plus taxes or whatever, like that has to be what you bring in. And then the question is, what can you do that delivers enough enough value in quotes to the right people to right. to do that, I think. Or maybe you need to work with more clients. Maybe you were so comfortable just having five clients and maybe you actually need to like stretch yourself and do six clients because you are really fancy and you want to have all the streaming services. <laughs> I do. I want to have I want the Hulu without ads. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes you need like Discovery Plus so you can watch all the like murder shows and uh, <laughs> ghost shows. So yeah. I just wanted to uh, say you brought up a, a, a comment a while ago about charging in US dollars. Like, please. Yes. So it's a comment from Helen King saying, This is a conversation I need right now. I have completely undercharged and I am now feeling it. I also made the mistake of not charging. And U.S. dollars for U.S. clients. So I don't know where you, where you're located, Helen, but I she's in New Zealand. Okay, I'm gonna say definitely. Don't worry about it. We've all been there. But going forward, you charge in either I I charge all my clients in U.S. The ones in Canada, in the U.S., in England, I also charge them in U.S. Just because that's how I I think of my business revenue in U.S. dollars. So I'm not trying to deal with exchange rate. I know how much I need to make at the end of the day in U.S. dollars. And you don't want to be at the mercy of the economy changing the rate on you. So whatever is more secure for you, make sure you're billing in that currency. And don't worry about the fact that it's not your home currency, that your clients don't care, honestly. I would echo that. I don't really have any international clients right now, but I have all of my accounting set up with U.S. dollars as my unit of measure. And then all of my contracts just say, all rates are in U.S. dollars because otherwise, like, I can't imagine trying to charge pounds to this one and crowns to this one. Like, I'd lose my mind. And then yeah. <laughs> U.S. dollars versus, uh, I don't know, what whatever they use in South Africa. I can't remember what it like. That would just drive me. I'd, I'd lose my mind. It's worse than time zones for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't even quite follow this conversation. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I bill I bill in U.S. dollars, and I let the credit card company handle whatever the right, right. the magic I, of conversion. And I pay in U.S. dollars too. Like, yep, same. It's just, yeah, it it just simplifies everything. So, oh well, they might be paying in their own currency, but I'm getting the U.S. dollars. Right. Yep. Well, I know right. I know that the foreign clients do pay in their. So, like, I have to charge people through PayPal because. Stripe is not available in my country. So, oh, um, oh that's terrible. It's, I'm saying, and my, my PayPal rate, I'm just side note, my PayPal rate is 5.4% and 39 cents. So, that's really ridiculous. That's terrible. It's that is- horrifying. And there is literally no alternative unless it's going to be like a bank transfer, which the rates are even worse. So, anyway, that was a side note. But PayPal, I build them. It's a subscription because I make everybody pay at the beginning. I build everybody in U.S. dollars. So I don't I don't even know how many Canadian or how much pounds they're paying. 
it's I know I'm getting the same amount of US dollars every month. So stick to your US if you have US clients or other countries. Now, do you add in that uh merchant fee that PayPal charges you into your client's fee? I don't know. I didn't think of it at first. So I weep for those clients that I didn't consider it. But <laughs> I do know. But I don't, I don't, my clients don't know what I have in my fee. I just, whatever I quote, I make sure that I can afford to lose that six person, call it. Right. Of it. Right. Yeah. That's a good, because that's something I didn't think about at first either. Yeah. Uh, that's one of your business expenses, your merchant fees and your bank yeah. fees. I was actually looking at bank fees just today and I was like, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, that's kind of a lot of money. And on the other hand, I'm like, that's a small percentage of a lot of money. I feel pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I feel pretty good about the amount of money that generated the requirement that I give that much in merchant fees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nice to look at it and be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's just like rough numbers that say it's like two and a half or 3%. I feel pretty good about the other 97% that <laughs> made that possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but I really love direct deposit. Um, that's my favorite. So um, I know a little bit ago we okay. were talking about. Um, How are we- so Alexandra, you pay every your clients have to pay you before you do the work. Whereas like I'm the opposite. I pay or I charge after. Um, so I bill on the first of the month for the previous month's work. Um, and the benefit for one, that's how I've always done it. And now I I thought about flipping it. But the idea of like going to my clients, like, all right, so I needed to pay <laughs> last month's work, last month's uh, work, and also next month. Like, that's just a really uncomfortable conversation I don't want to have. But then I also have like add on services and like other things. So it's easier for me to like be able to like handle all that at the end and just kind of bill um, as well. Uh, but I also have packages, like, it's just a flat rate up to like a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, which was really nice because then I can, through my accounting software, send out automated invoices, recurring invoices, and then the client can choose to set up automatic payments. So mm-hmm. I have a number of clients that on the first of the month, my, um, like all their, all that money is sitting, me sitting there ready for me to, to take it. Yeah, exactly. I, I would say that for my recurring, my monthly clients, I have mine set up the same as what you do, except I bill at the first of the month. Right? For so the my previous recur- month? No, I bill I bill at the first of the month for this month, right? So all of my clients are paid in advance on a recurring invoice. And, you know, none of them really do any add-ons because I don't really have any, like my only add-on would be you sent me more audio. I can invoice that off cycle. That's not a problem because mm-hmm. I don't do currently, I don't do like moving wave graphics or anything like that, that they might say, I want one for this, but not this. But then the way I frame it up to them is, Hey, this is a risk sharing thing. If you pay at the beginning of the month, you get the same rate every month, no matter how many weeks there are. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay per episode, I don't get paid till later. So the risk is really on me. So you don't get that discount anymore. Right. So if, if it's a weekly client, that means they get four free episodes a year if they pay in advance. And yeah. if not, the rate per episode is the same. They just don't get the free ones anymore. Yeah, that's how I framed um, the advanced payments to my clients. There's some clients who didn't want it, though. They wanted it to go uh, episode per episode. I think I don't know. I think I've just been really lucky. I've li- I've never had a client push back on the payment at the beginning. Maybe it's because I don't frame it as an option. 
just like yeah so build, these are the pack my package is ten dollars and you pay on the first of the month and i've had i've it's set up in a way where my concern was just what happens if they miss an episode and in all these years i've only ever had one client who um didn't use up her monthly allocation and it was we established from the beginning that the rate is a rate you don't get a refund if you forget to send it to me or whatever but I also give them an out. Like if they're going on a season break, they just tell me, once they tell me 30 days in advance, it's fine. I'll just pause their subscription. So like I have clients now who are on monthly break. They're not paying me during their break because I think that's like a little bit mean to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll do that if a client goes on vacation. I'll just be like, right. all right, we'll just gonna, we're going to pause. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think for me, the only ones that have really pushed back are the ones that aren't sure if they want to keep the same schedule all the time. And those are the ones that tend to go with the per episode billing. Sorry, Daniel, I jumped in on you. No, no, you're fine. Um, I just wanted to point out something really smart that Alexandra says, like you don't give them the option. Whenever you like talk to your client about like raising rates or whatever, like having that confidence and being like, all right, here and uh, go back to Brittany Felix's episode. I think we talked about this. She's like really good about this. It's like, this is my new rate in the story. You don't hesitate. You don't give them out. You don't get wishy-washy. You're just like, this is my rate. And you, it, if you don't leave room to negotiate, then they're not going to take it. Right. On this um, note, Alexandra, how did you go about raising your rates for your clients? Like, what does that conversation look like for you? So mostly I have ended up raising the rates for new clients rather than raising the rates on existing clients. But I have one client who was with me from the garbage rate and now she pays a good rate. Um, God bless her. But that client taught me a lot because I realized that she was always nice. I never had a problem with her, but she was just doing what I said. So if I said it costs $90 and every time she came back to me, it was like, oh, add this, add this, add this. And I just did it. I mean, she's not doing anything wrong, right? But when I actually pushed back, she was with, with her. I said to her that, you know, look, this was the scope of what we started with. It was supposed to be, I don't remember the details, but let's say it was supposed to be 30 minutes of you alone and basic show notes. And now we're doing interviews for an hour and detailed blog posts. So I no longer can offer you um, that full service at this price. And X is a new price. And she actually said that it was way out of her budget because she was, I was doing a lot of stuff for her and I priced out all of them. So like I was doing audiograms, I was doing um, social media captions, I was doing all sorts of stuff. And what we ended up doing was pairing back the stuff to down to just what she really wanted, which was the audio editing and the blog post and agreed on a rate that we could both feel comfortable with. So I'm not against negotiating. I'm not saying like, Stand on a hard line and never negotiate. But like <laughs> it was, it went from being I'm dreading doing her work every week because I'm doing so much for so little to like now I love working on her show because I'm not worried about I'm not feeling like oh you're taking advantage of me because she really wasn't taking advantage of me. I just never pushed back, and I think it's very easy because it's like scope creep, just one little thing at a time, and then before you know it, it's a whole new show you're editing for the same old rate. So I think just having these honest conversations about, I think it's a little bit hard, I will say, to like increase your rate if the only thing you're doing has changed. I don't know how you have that conversation. <laughs> like, this is what we agreed on, but like, instead <laughs> but I want, I more, want money more money. Yeah. Right. Unless time has passed. I will say, if a lot of time has passed, I think it's fair to say, you know, stuff has changed, business has grown. 
this is what we have to charge. I, I always frame it as this is what I have to charge um, going forward because it's what my business requires because it makes it kind of harder for somebody else to come up to and be like, well, I don't care what your business requires. This is what I'm willing to pay. So, yeah. And one thing I've learned to make it a little bit easier is have an agreement with your client. Um, put an expiration date in the agreement. So like this agreement is good for one year. And then that, that gives you the opening to be like, Hey, your agreement's coming up, um, you know, the end of your agreement, let's have on a call to talk about it. And then you can choose, keep the rate the same, or that gives you the, um, the opportunity to, uh, pitch a new rate. I like that. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I just recently started writing my contracts to switch to monthly at the at the end of the year, but then I wrote in the provision that I can go back at the end of the time and say, "Hey, we've been doing this for a year. The new rate is X." So that's literally written into the contract. It converts to monthly, and there may be a conversation about rate. Yeah, that, that's totally what I started doing. Because what I've found is it's hard for me to keep up with when the contracts end and schedule that call enough in advance to keep the contract current without having to like do some shenanigans. So I just thought, well, let's let it go to monthly and then I can just have the conversation. I will say that one thing that has been really good for me has been changing to, I don't remember what they call it, but like plain language contracts. So I have the parts that has to do with the billing and that has to do with the, um, like the client responsibilities and my responsibilities. It's just written in plain standard English with a very a heading says client responsibilities, payment fee. And it just says very in plain old English, not in the heretofore, whether, when, to <laughs> thing. So like, I'm confident that the client can look at it before they sign it and easily digest. Okay. This is what I'm signing because I felt before I felt a little bit weird. When it was this, I originally had this jargony, jargony contract. I think I got it from like a freelancers association or something like that. Like who would really notice that in the middle of it, it said, oh, I can increase the fee after one year. It felt like I was trying to trick them with fine print. So by having the plain language of all that payment stuff, A, I realized that they actually noticed it more because they comment on it. And B, I felt better when it came time to come around and talk to it because it wasn't like something hidden in the middle of clause 2C somewhere <laughs> yeah that, so uh how did you come up with that contract did you did you just decide to write it or did you base it off of something or well the base of it was was i did keep that i can't even remember where, where it was it was one of those you know those freelance associations that have like a ton of resources for people i can't remember which one it was but that was a baseline and that has in all the necessary things about ip and all the confidentiality and all of that and then based on, I think as a recommendation from Evo, Evo Terra, um, I added on the things about the client responsibilities as just like bullet points. And I spoke to a lawyer. This is, I'm not a lawyer. I could be wrong. This could be the worst thing in the world if I had to litigate it. I don't know. But I spoke to a lawyer here, not in the US either. I spoke to a lawyer here. And he, he said to me that it should be fine because it's a clear agreement, basically. So... You're agreeing to do A, I'm agreeing to do B for this amount of money. We're writing in plain English. So I just wrote it out in plain old English. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and yes, this is not legal advice. We are not lawyers. Not None of us have <laughs> legal degrees. We're not. A, okay. So, you know, go talk to a lawyer. But Please do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, Michael Jerry had a comment. If I can get around my cat to click it. 
It is important to find the balance between what you charge and what you're doing. If you dread working on a client's project, is more money really going to make a difference or is what you're doing uh, what matters? If I can, I had said that I dreaded it. So I'll just, I'll jump in there. I know at the time I was dreading it because I felt like she was taking advantage of me. So it had nothing to do with the content. But because she kept asking for more stuff and I'm a people pleaser, I never pushed back. So every time she asked for it, I'm be like, oh, how dare you ask me for this in my head? And just be like, yeah, sure, I'd love to do it. Um, (laughs) so, (laughs) So by actually setting healthy boundaries in place, it actually was, it made my work better. It made me feel better about the work. So yes, it's about what you're doing, but also... What do you guys say? The head trash? The head trash was getting in the way of the work that I was doing. Yeah, you can't be angry at the client for like something you never had a conversation (laughs) with them about. (laughs) How dare you not realize? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, oh, and Paul, Paul. Oh, Paul is here. Hey, Paul. Oh, wait. Uh, he said, I clicked the wrong one. Loving the conversation, need more open discussion and transparency in our space. And I, I feel like, so I feel like we have a, a lot of these conversations kind of in bursts, right? You get the bits and pieces of rates, um, you know, in Facebook groups and, and such. But, you know, that's one of the reasons. And that's why we started with that Twitter thread, because what should you really be looking and here's my and this this i'll frame this question to you guys too should you does it even matter what anybody else is charging when determining your own rates uh to an extent in that if it encourages you to charge more because before so i started out like dirt floor dirt cheap rates um and then like my clients actually encouraged me to charge more and then is finding the podcast editors club and seeing what other people are charging. It's like, oh, there is a market for me to charge a lot more than I am. So if other people's race encourage you to raise yours, then yes, take that into account. Yeah. I, I would say that you have to pay a whole lot more attention to what others are charging if the market is already saturated with providers. Uh, if there are, are a lot of people already doing what you do, and you can start to be viewed as a commodity, then it's much more important to be familiar with what everybody else is charging and to be at some level, like the whole price elasticity thing, am I too far above or too far below somebody else? But in a market that's not saturated, or if you're basically a category of one, probably not, right? Because you're not, like you personally are not attracting the same clients that I attract. So we're not necessarily competing for the same business. And so what I charge isn't necessarily at all related to you. In fact, my packages include different things. So if they want what you offer, I'm not really an option for them. Yeah. And uh, Marion says, I feel like one of the big issues is scope of work. Editing means so many different things. And I think that is 100% true there are so many pieces and styles to podcast editing and audio post-production in general that uh yeah and i want to because we were talking about that the thread on twitter about like how much you should charge and one of her things was like 20 hours at 85 dollars an hour is this and i'm like 
I work on straight through talk shows. If an episode that I'm editing takes 20 hours, I have done something incredibly wrong, <laughs> right? If, however, I'm doing what Carrie has started stepping into doing narrative or storytelling or audio drama, 20 hours is absolutely not out of the question. And so, you know, if I'm able to do for 150 or $200 or whatever I charge for one episode, if I stepped into the audio drama world and thought I was going to charge the same thing for an entire week's work, my family is going hungry and I'm going to lose the house. Like it'll take about three months and we'll be done. <laughs> Nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, that kind of work I think is more of what Misha was talking about that, you know, uh, she did respond to the guy that specifically said plain. It was just a chat show for an hour. And she said, I think 800 or something like that. So, I yeah, mean, again, I, I would go back to the scope of work. Like, what are you doing? Because producing an episode and editing an episode may mean something completely different to her than it does to him. Right. I, and I don't, because I feel like that's so far about, like, again, where is the person making, you know, a, 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 let's just take like the average American family making two incomes. So they've got like, $100,000 a year, and I don't know what the average um, income is. Are they going to be able to pay $3,200 a month? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like mortgage, and like, it's like all their bills. <laughs> right. That's like mortgage and food for a month. Yeah. For their hobby podcast. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I, and I don't, I don't see that happening. Like, I just, I, I don't. And I get what she's saying. Like, as professionals, as but, you know, we don't want to be taken advantage of. And I don't want to drive down the price of, you know, the industry work at all. I don't want to devalue anything. But I I, I don't, like, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody in my personal life who could afford that. We couldn't afford that. The four of us together, the three of us <laughs> together, could not afford to have right. the show edited for for $3,200 a month. Like, I'd have to quit. Y'all would have to, you know. You'll just go Just put the raw audio directly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That could just be done. Like, forget it, you know. I, I think I will say, to Brian's point about if it's saturated, one of the things that I have found interesting is the bad side of being a part of these lovely groups is that it makes me feel like this industry is saturated when my clients didn't even know that there was another podcast editor in the world apart from me. So, like, Sometimes I have found myself having the imposter syndrome or the head trash or whatever, because I'm thinking, oh my God, Carrie's charging this, Brittany's charging this, whatever. Am I charging too much? Am I charging too little? Meanwhile, my client's just like, yo, I don't, my friend recommended you and you're the only person I know who does podcast anything. So they don't really care about what Jack, Jim and John are charging. They just want to know what can they afford and what's valuable for them. So I wouldn't get too caught up in the market rate. I think what I always say is it's a good starting point. It's a good frame of reference, but I don't get married to it because also, the, especially like with the survey, it's an average. Some people are charging $10 and some people are charging $300. So don't peg everything in the market rate. Yeah. And you can also use it as an anchor point, right? If you're talking to a client and you can either use it as an anchor point to say, this is what others are charging and what I'm doing is in line with them. Or you could use it as an anchor point and say, this is what other people are charging. This is why my rate is higher than that. Mm -hmm. 
and yeah. use actually use the price gap to differentiate yourself, which is something I think I need to start doing. So thanks for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody do it bright soon. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, well, I think it is time for the pod next question before Brian has to leave because I was excited about the last one and we didn't get to do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the pod decks question of the day, I really do have a pod deck. Um, they sent it to me after I gave them money because that was how it works. So the question <laughs> for today is, what's something that you've never been able to do well? And let's keep this podcast focused. So something that you've never been able to do well that's related to podcasts. And since I've had the question in front of me the longest and still haven't thought of an answer, I'll start. And I think the one thing that I tend to struggle with in terms of... Um, podcasting is on a personal level, the promotion part of a podcast. I do feel like I do a pretty good job with content and with preparation. And I feel like I do an excellent job with post-production. If you're thinking of hiring me, promotion is something where I'm looking to bring people in to help with that. And let's, let's go to Daniel and go that way around back to Carrie. Um, for me, I'd probably say the preparation because I get so focused, like on other things and it's like, Oh, right. I should probably do my podcast. <laughs> I'm probably the opposite of you, Brian. <laughs> Not that I'm great at promotion, let's be honest. Well, keep, keep in mind, I have two shows that are on hiatus right now. So just take. <laughs> I think for me, it's the filler words. I'm just, I get so upset when I hear them, but gosh darn, darn the editor's going to have a great time with this one. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, filler words. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say like the marketing part, like I was thinking about this for this show I was like, oh, I meant to do a newsletter the past two months. Um, <laughs> the fact that you actually put out a newsletter, is, <laughs> like, I do, that's beyond me. I do do reminders that we're going to have an, a live episode. Um, however, I, you know, the monthly newsletter, um, uh, yeah, y'all, I've just been busy. Uh, and forgetful because I forgot I wrote a newsletter for this show. Um, yeah. Which you can it. sign up for at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. <laughs> yes. In fact, that's also where you can go to subscribe to the show or you can go to subscribe.podcasteditorsmastermind.com and that will take you right to the page with all the little clicky buttons. So you don't even have to think, oh, what do I do? I have to search for this in my app. Just go there, click the buttons. You're good to go. And and by the way, the newsletter, never spammy. Um, we never <laughs> if it email you without. Uh, <laughs> we it's might so not spammy, you. you might not get it. <laughs> uh and it's been so great having Alexandra on the show tonight. And if you want to be on the show as well, whether you're an expert in the field and you want to share your knowledge or you're struggling with something and you want help, all you got to do is go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest, fill out the form. And eventually I'll realize that it is in my spam folder and then I'll get back to you. <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, do you, I was going to ask you, Alexandra, if um, people want to work with you, find out more about what you do for um, podcast editors in terms of like business training, etc. Where do they go? The best place to find me is on Instagram at alexatstennett, which is S T E N N E T T, and I'm. I know it looks dead, but I'm back. I'm coming back. 
Okay. So. Yeah, me too. DM me. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and is there anything coming up in the future that um, we might find exciting? Well, I'm hoping to be doing some talks in Just Busters group. So if you're not in the Just Busters group, you should get in there. Absolutely. On- yep. I think it's the uh, 21st. I think so. Yeah. 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 So that would be the first yet. But um, if you are not a guy, come join (laughs) JustBusters. You can go to JustBusters.com and actually find out or search JustBusters on Facebook. Thank you so much for being with us, Alexandra. This has been super fun. Thank you for Um, having me. I had a good time. Yeah. You can find Alexandra at listeners to clients.com or at alex.stennett on Instagram. The cat is attacking something. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I'm Carrie Caulfield. Eric, you can find me at Yaya Podcasting. Uh, you can find me at Yaya. Nailed it. <laughs> Yayapodcasting.com or on Instagram at Carrie Eric. I'm Brian Edspinger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com or Top Tier Audio on most of the social media platforms. And to my whichever side is... I'm Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. Or if you're a Reaper user, you could go to reaperforpodcasting.com for how-to videos. We will see everybody <laughs> next episode, I guess. Somebody's got to push the end broadcast button. Yeah. Thank you, Thanks everybody, for showing up and I watching. appreciate you guys. <laughs> Uh, um, so how much is that? Um, 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 um